Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. So we're um, at the headquarters, or are we at the Society of Illustrators office, and we're in the office of uh, the Society of Illustrators Executive Director Anel Miller, and we're uh, actually, this is a bit of a do-over interview, because uh, we did do an interview on the floor uh, of, of MOCA, um, uh, the show that uh, the Society of Illustrators has taken over and rejuvenated. Um, but we're going to, we have some technical problems, so we're doing, a, we're doing, this is a do-over. Anyway, uh, thanks once again, uh, Anel, for being on More to Come. Oh, it's my pleasure, and I'm so happy that you're here in my office filled with amazing things. It, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, could you give our um, uh, listeners a, a kind of a verbal walk through your office? I mean, there's models and, and toys and, uh, yes, and of course, great illustrations. There's amazing art from... Um, incredible historic illustrators like Dean Cornwell. There's the Dean Cornwell uh-huh. right behind oh, you, yeah. Calvin. That's a famous and one, isn't it? We've, yeah, that's yeah. very famous. And then we've got a little Rockwell Kent and yeah. a couple of beautiful little William Steigs over there uh-huh. on the wall. I, I see. Um, we, Of course, we have... We do have Superman hanging <laughs> hanging from my plant because you have to have Superman. And I was very lucky that Robert Williams signed my... Coochie Cootie doll over there, so he autographed the box for me, so that's pretty special, and yeah, I have a lot of art that illustrators have done for me, you know, um, Um, wonderful things. uh, Well, what we're going to do is do a little quick post-mortem on uh, this year's uh, Mocha Arts Fest, but first, actually, uh, maybe you could tell our our more to come listeners a little bit about the the Society of Illustrators. Okay, absolutely. Well, the Society was established in 1901, really as a club and a networking society for illustrators. And over the years, it's just morphed into this amazing institution that um, the main mission and the main focus is education Mm. and, of course, promoting the art of illustration, all genres. the museum part of the society was established in 1981, so we say that that's fairly new in the mm-hmm. history of the society. And of course, you know that the museum is open to the public, mm-hmm. and we have rotating exhibits in all three of our galleries now, and those exhibits rotate every eight to ten weeks. And, and awesome, awesome uh, uh, exhibitions, I might add. Drew Friedman yes, on the main uh, awesome gallery downstairs. Exhibitions. Uh, awesome. The fabulous Juice uh, Used Swore. Yeah, in uh, our comic and cartoon the, gallery. Uh, yes. So that's that's the gallery yeah. that is solely dedicated to comic and cartoon art. Yeah, correct. And that rotates, as I said, every eight to ten weeks. Whether Great it's, show, too. Whether it's a single mm-hmm. artist feature or a group show, that will only feature yeah. comic and cartoon art. Yeah, great. Um, great. And of course, uh, in what was it, 2012, the Society took over um, MOCA, the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art, and the MOCA Arts Fest. Yes. It's probably its most famous iteration of what they do. Uh, and, um, I, you know, once again, uh, as I said, told you before, uh, it's just been a rousing success. I've never heard uh, so much praise following uh, a MOCA Arts Fest. Uh, the comics community can be a tough audience, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just pussycats around you. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that really, you've really done a great job at just giving the show a credibility amongst its primary community once again. 
Well, we try to we try to bring Mo the Mocha Arts Fest up to the level of professionalism that we are accustomed to here at the Society with everything else that we do. And as I said to you earlier, we have a very well-oiled professional team mm -hmm. that uh, gets down to business yes. and is you know is the attention to detail that we are accustomed to here is what we put into the fest and. Uh, I think this year that the fact that it was our second year and we yeah. learned so much from last year of how we wanted to make some changes, um, I think some of those changes came to fruition yeah. and um, it's very exciting. All right. Well, let's just go quickly down uh, just a couple of items. Um, attendance. Yes. <laughs> uh, a record this year. Yes. Uh, just over 7,000 yeah. people. And but four thousand on 4, 000, one day on Saturday. Four thousand on Saturday uh -huh. and the remaining on Sunday. Uh -huh. Unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's terrific. A few lines, a line to get in, but small price to pay. Uh, I, I think so. You know, the, the <laughs> line started forming at about ten twenty in the morning, and we were all pretty surprised about that. <laughs> so by eleven o'clock, the line was uh, down Lexington and yeah. then around. Uh, 26th Street. Did you say a few people showed up on Friday night? I'm not sure what that was about. but uh... People showed up on Friday, and, and the, the people who run the armory came to us, and they said, you know, what time is the show opening like, today? Because people are outside wanting to come in. And we said, no, the show yes. doesn't open until <laughs> Saturday. So that was, uh, maybe, uh, maybe people will be sleeping over in cots next year. Who well, knows? Demand goes up. Um, uh, now, the floor is reconfigured, and I, you know, there was a lot of questioning about it, though I found most people actually liked it. But yeah. uh, I, I, as you were telling me earlier, this was mm -hmm. a, a new requirement by uh, the fire department or the city uh, of New yeah, York? Yeah, the Department of Buildings and the city of New York required us to get a temporary uh, place of assembly permit this year in order to run the festival. And in doing so, we had to hire an architect and an expediter to file plans with the city and have those plans approved in order yeah. to put on the festival. And in order to do that, the configuration of the floor had to, had to be done in a way where every person ha was within 100 feet of an exit. Hmm. So the architect reconfigured the floor the way it was, and I actually think it worked out for the best yeah. because hmm. it just it felt better, it just felt... You know, like you were, you could manage the aisles much more, yeah. you know, easily, and there were people at the ends, which was fantastic. Another thing that was yes. remarkable, yes. and there so, were volunteers in every aisle to sort of help you know, out. As as mm -hmm. I always say, everything happens for reasons, and I think the you know the reason that we had to do it worked out in our best interest. Now you also rearranged the uh, uh, the cafeteria yes. and the uh, ex exhibit uh, and the gallery, mm -hmm. and the gallery, and also with I. I thought really great to great effect. Uh, yeah, we we flipped those spaces. Um, we reduced the size slightly of the gallery um, because we we felt that of course that was key, and we knew people loved mm -hmm. seeing original art, so we were not going to get rid of that. And we felt from last year that access to the food wasn't wonderful being downstairs. Mm -hmm. Plus, because of the increased programming that we did, we needed to have yes, both yeah. of the rooms downstairs for yeah. programming and. As you know, Bill Cardalopoulos was in charge of programming and did a, yeah, and a pretty amazing job. It was a job. great job. Yes. Yeah, great yes. programming. Yes. Uh, we absolutely. haven't mentioned that yet, but we certainly should. Bill yeah. did a great job. Yeah, incredible. Um, and also that back row where the, the cafeteria was now, mm -hmm. it had been a little bit of a dead zone. It but was jumping and yeah. lively and busy. And it was good food to eat. And it was yummy food. <laughs> Anybody who has eaten at the Society knows how great the food is here. 
Um, now, the other thing, obviously, that was easy to note is that there was a lot of sponsorship. Obviously, uh, I think you told me earlier that the Charlie Brown balloon, clearly the hit of the show, besides the art itself. That seems weird. As I think Heidi put it, it was the, uh, the balloon that launched a thousand Instagrams. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, well, I had a vision last year of, of wanting to do something to fill that airspace yeah. in the armory because it's such a... It's huge. It's huge and it's a dead space. And I wanted to be able to have sort of a focus where people would also come to see the Charlie mm-hmm. Brown balloon. Yeah. And while they were there, they would visit all the exhibitors and that kind of happened. Um, but I, I knew that that was going to be a price and I did a lot of outreach to get sponsorship to cover the cost Great. of what mm-hmm. that, what that was. And I and, was, I was successful with that. And you had other sponsors too. There was yes. the Wacom Lounge. Um, um, Wacom is a great partner yeah. for us and they, they gave us sponsorship as well as Blue Sky Studios yeah. mm-hmm. and the School of Visual Arts, yeah, which great. is a very big supporter. Great. And they also gave me uh, the, theater, the theater on Friday night where we screened the Robert Williams oh, right, uh, right. documentary. They were very generous with that as well. Well, the uh, uh, launching the show with uh, Comic and Cartoon Art Week, I mean, really tying together yes. a variety of events that I guess in some cases were already scheduled, mm-hmm. but I can obviously see this going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, organizations planning events for just for that week uh, preceding MoCA, the MoCA yes. Arts Fest. So. We will continue to do that and organize it even mm-hmm. bigger and better next yeah, year. Book signings, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, ex, the uh, screening, uh, uh, exhibitions, it's really great. Ben Lectures, Cat, Ben uh, Catcher at yeah. Parsons, absolutely. All around the city, all, so it's really... All, all different All things. tied in mm-hmm. to the Mocha Arts Fest. I yes. love it. I love yes. it. Yes. Um, uh, I'd love to just ask you about, I mean, many people approach me saying, you know, is the show really financially viable? And you tell me you, you guys not only break even, you do a little bit better. We do. We do. And I think um, as a fiscally responsible organization, I don't think one could really put on a show like this and have it be a losing proposition. Mm-hmm. It's it's much much too much work to make that happen. So we do look to see some profit from this show, and we turn that profit around and put it back into our arts programming, into our permanent collection fund, where we can acquire more works for Mm -hmm. comic and cartoon part of our collection, and we can help support the lecture series, the film series, Mm -hmm. the workshop series that we have by paying artists to come and speak here. So that really makes a difference. Now, may I ask what the budget for the show is? Yes, you can ask. Um, <laughs> I mean, can you tell me? I, I mean, certainly yeah, can. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I have no secrets when it comes to that. It's all very public. Um, this year it costs just under $200,000 to put on this show, including ev- absolutely mm-hmm. everything, and including the additional thousands and thousands of dollars that I had to spend uh, Conforming to the city's uh, Department of Building Regulations, yes, which was very costly. Well, it's uh, actually gratifying to hear that uh, not only break even that there's it it sends some money back to the society. Obviously, you guys have an amazing array of programs. Yes, um, uh, and it's just great to see that the Mocha Arts Fest is fitting into your ecosystem. Oh, yeah, (laughs) financially and aesthetically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many, so many great. Uh, programs that we do here now, and uh, Bob Sikoriak and Creota mm-hmm. had their had their workshop, their Anatomy for uh-huh. for Cartoonist workshop that began last night. So 
wonderful things. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm trying to think if I will ask you anything. Uh, lessons learned. I mean, you learned a lot last uh, year. Yes, yes, this yes. Year several lessons. Several for? lessons that are, are top of my mind. Um, we have to do um, bigger and better with the kids zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I okay. think that that's an area that mm-hmm. we have much more opportunity mm-hmm. with to make that even more important and, and kind of bring that mm-hmm. a little bit more to the forefront. And then I have another crazy idea, which I, I suppose I could share, but I haven't even told anybody about this yet. Oh, we love crazy um, ideas. I want to create an area and probably maybe the area where we had our uh, society museum shop, which we mm-hmm. won't do again because... Yeah, there was a little gift there shop. There was a little yeah. gift shop, yeah. but we'll do that on a much smaller scale. But maybe that room can become an interactive room where we create a wall of art where... All of the artists can go in and draw on the walls oh. and, and sort of have this really wonderful interactive moment for creating art. Sounds good to me. So be, there'll be more fun things. Yeah, I, I, without a doubt. Uh, well, look, um, once again, my own congratulations on, a, on the second year of just a great show at Mocha Arts Fest. You really, I mean, it's really in revival and um, it's exciting to see uh, what, what's going to become of this show Uh uh, in the years ahead, working hand in hand with the Society of Illustrators. It's very exciting. All right. Well, thank you, Anel, so much for being on Board Thank Morticon. you. Right. Thank you, Calvin. Um, hi, this is Heidi McDonald of PW Comics World's More to Come podcast. I am live at MochaFest, and right now I am with uh, Lisa Harris, who is the artist uh, of many books that are, uh, I guess some of them autobiographical, some of them about cooking, some of them about cats. All three of these subjects are popular topics for comics. So I thought we'd talk to uh, Lisa a little bit about uh, her books. So, so tell me about... Uh, well, Urban Nomad, that's the first comic you did, right? What was, what was that about? So Urban Nomad is a series of books that I do about living in New York. I moved here about 15 years ago from Pennsylvania, and it's kind of my journey from going to art school to being unemployed after art school to finding a job in the animation industry and kind of all the little things that happen in between, like riding the subway. Right, right. So it's a classic autobiographical comic about your daily uh, daily adventures, although very charming uh, also. So I think I, I picked it up a few years ago and was, was very, very charmed by it. Um, so, I mean, what kind of response do you get? You do it as mini-comics, basically. What kind of response have you gotten to that? Well, thank you. Um, I've gotten a really great response. I only do it as a print comic right now. I don't have a webcomic version of it. But it's really nice to see people that have bought, like, the first issue and come back every year and buy, you know, the follow-up issues. And everybody's really excited about it. Um, a lot of people who are kind of in a similar situation, like, new to new to comics or you know new to New York they really seem to enjoy it some people buy it for their kids you know that are aspiring artists that sort of thing now would you consider doing a bigger collection of it or a more permanent form or um... I've actually gotten that question a few times this this week which is great Um, at some point I would love to combine them all into one one collection so um Oh, you know, your other projects uh, are cooking up comics. So, because oddly enough, food and comics is another popular topic. So, so how did this comic come about? Um, so this came about a couple of years ago. I brainstormed about wanting to do something with recipes, and I'm a vegetarian, so that seemed to be an obvious choice. Um, and it took me a couple of years to get it off the ground, but I do a webcomic, and it's been about two years of backlog now that I have. And the idea of pitching it to 
again, students or people that aren't really good at cooking or want to learn how to cook. Um, I've had a surprise audience of men who are really interested in it, in whether they're trying to impress a lady or just learning to cook for themselves, uh, which has been really cool. Right. So what is the format of this? It's a webcomic? Uh, is there a print version of it? or? So it's a webcomic right now. Um, for Mocha, I just printed out about a 12-page comic that is a little mini with three recipes in it for people to pick up and be able to cook from that. Um, at some point, I would love to make a full collection of it, um, preferably in hardcover or something right. like that. Um, now, how do you, you test these recipes? Do you have a test kitchen, basically? <laughs> My, my test kitchen is my very tiny kitchen in Queens, um, but my, my husband is my test eater, so he's, he's actually not vegetarian, so he's a good gauge of what might work or what might not work. Um, he also guest stars in some of the comics, which is, which is fun. Right, so have there been any mishaps? Um, you know, there's a couple recipes that maybe didn't turn out quite how I thought they were going to, and I had to kind of adjust them, but I definitely test them before I draw them, so, yeah, that works. So. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's all a learning experience. You know, that's the fun of cooking, isn't it, now? Um, as I said, thinking of the big mess I have to clean up at home. Um, now, you just did a Kickstarter for a book, and for this, you picked, uh, it's, it's a third genre, that is cat comics. Now, cats and comics. Uh, how? What was the response like to this cat comic that you do, Alyssa? It was really awesome. Um, so, Counter Attack is a book series that I also started as mini comics. Um, I had been printing them since about 2005. This is my longest running comic series, and I've only been doing them as print, but I know people love cats, and again, it was just difficult to keep them all in print at the same time. So I decided this was the perfect year. Both my cats were about 10 years old, and it seemed like I've been recording their, their lives for the past like eight years or so. So it seemed like a good time. All right, so uh, Lisa, so you put these cat comics up on Kickstarter, and uh, how did it do? It did really well. Um, I was... I. Because I was doing a hardcover, I was asking for a little bit of money, um, and it was my first Kickstarter, so I did know that the odds of me making it were not great, right. but I do have a decent following of my cooking comics and my print comics, so I really just tried to um, gather all of my existing fans and hopefully rally them around you know, supporting it, and luckily the internet loves cats, so um, I also was chosen very close to the end as a Kickstarter project of the day, which is very exciting, and they definitely helped push me over the top. Um, so I, I succeeded with a little over, um, I think, another 10% over my goal, which is fantastic. Wow. Um, now, you know, it's, it's interesting. You do a mix of print and web comics. How do you decide which is going to be print and which is going to be web? How do you... Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I started off with print comics just because web comics was still kind of in its infancy, and I just had more um, access to the tools to do everything print. Um, but I work digitally as an animator for my day job, so the idea of doing cooking up comics just seemed like it would be much faster because I wanted to do it in full color um, as, as opposed to drawing it and scanning it and doing that whole process. Um, it was really kind of a no-brainer as far as my pipeline of work. Um, and then that way I was also able to reuse some of my assets, which is really great. Like, just the way I think as an animator, you know, like, I'm going to draw a pot a hundred times. Like, maybe I will draw that pot and be able to reuse it in another comic and nobody will ever notice. Sneaky. What kind of uh, work do you do in animation? Um, 
Well, I am an animator. I'm a designer. Um, I kind of do a little bit of everything in New York. It's like whatever right. whatever you can get a get a job doing. You know, I've been a storyboard artist, um, but mostly an animator and a character designer. What are, what are you working on now? Um, right now, I'm not necessarily working in animation. I've, I've been mostly getting ready to send off my Kickstarter. That's, right, that's been right, what right. I've been working on mostly. Do you think this whole blend of like, you know, it sounds like you're kind of the multimedia artist that we always talk about on the show, where you have, you know, a day job that's in, in one creative field, but then you do these other, you know, your crowd for, <laughs> your crowdsourcing, you're doing all this stuff. I mean, you know, I, it sounds like you've kind of adapted to the times. <laughs> I, I think you really have to do that. I think New York, you know, really makes you have to do that. And the arts in general, I think it's yeah. like if you want to draw, you want to do this, you have to find a way to do it. And I like the idea of kind of being able to do what I want with my comics and not really having to be beholden to a specific, right. you know, like an editor or something like that. Not that having an editor is bad, but... Right, right, right. But yeah, it's more flexible. When is the Kickstarter book going to be coming out? Um, so that should be going off to the printer hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and it'll be printed overseas, so it'll be a little bit of a slow boat to get here. Right. But um, I'm estimating within about two months, so sometime this summer, probably by June, so I should be getting the Kickstarter. We'll, we'll, uh, for those of us who did not support the Kickstarter, where will we be able to buy this book? So I should have it on my Big Cartel shop, uh, which is accessible through my website, AlyssaHarris.com. A L I. It's A L I S A H A R R I S. Okay. Uh, well, very good. And hopefully, we'll see you here next year also to be able to buy it. So, thank you so much, Alyssa. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Allison, tell us about your cat comics. Uh, it's, uh, you have a book here called Astray in the Woods. What is this about? So, Astray in the Woods was actually originally a project that I started because I was pitching a book to First Second that got announced recently and really stressed out waiting for people to get back to me. So, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start doing a webcomic. Um, and I've been reading a lot of these sort of uh, text adventure style webcomics like all MS Paint Adventures and Ruby Quest and I had also been thinking about doing a comic about my own cat but just didn't care enough to really get it off the ground so I put those two ideas together and ended up doing Stray in the Woods which is a text adventure style web comic about a cat and what that means practically speaking is I was on Tumblr um, and I posted an update which was basically a cat waking up and sitting in the middle of the room and then I asked the reader like what does the cat do next and then people just typed in things in the Tumblr ask box and I was very that a few more popular friends of mine reblogged it early on, so I always had lots and lots of suggestions. And I would pick one, because usually there was a consensus uh, about what people wanted. Uh, and I would pick one of the updates and use that as the basis of drawing. Sorry, take one of the suggestions and use that as the basis for the next update, and then just continued on that for. I started it in, I think, September of 2012, and it finished up at June or so of the next year. Right. Um, and it was pretty successful, and so I ended up doing a Kickstarter to fund a print run, because at that point it was going to be like a very long. Uh, full color book, and those are expensive. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a thick it's a thick story. It's a it's a satisfying chunk here for sure. Wow, Homestuck for Cats. I mean, this is like you know we're just yeah. bumping up the elevator pitch to unseen heights here. That's well, one goes to the twenty eighth floor. Well, it's, it's been really interesting because half the people who pick it up, you explain it to them, and they're like, oh, that's a really neat idea, and the other half of them are like, oh, oh, so it's like Homestuck. I'm like, yes, it is like Homestuck but with a cat. There right, you go. right, so right. 
Anyway. Now, now, do you find that but you, you were saying uh, that there are people who just like who aren't into comics, but they like cats? I mean, you know, is it a good crossover <laughs> audience? That's the thing. It's like a lot of comics people don't actually like it very much because it's not traditional comic. Do you want to get that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Keep going. So a lot of people, um, it shows like this end up picking it up because it's group, and it doesn't have panels and work balloons, and so comics people sometimes don't like it. A lot of my dedicated readers are just book people or cat people that thought this was like, oh, it's like an illustrated book, but like right. a cat. And a lot of them are people who don't normally read comics, don't normally read web comics, or it's like a friends of theirs. I found out that somebody on Ravelry had recommended it. <laughs> um, and so it's just been a really interesting the readers who I ended up getting but yeah when you run a Kickstarter with a cat the Kickstarter staff featured me as a staff pick right when they launched the Kickstarter so lots of people who've never heard of me man some of my backers are really really into cats and they're great and one of my reward tiers actually I'm going to say this is going to be unhelpful for your podcast people uh, in the back there's um, there's a thank you section where there's there's a pet portrait tier so people get back in like I think it was like a sixty dollar level right. and I would draw a picture of their cat and then it was featured at the back of the book people like Which that too immediately and then people wrote these heartbreaking beautiful descriptions because I was like oh tell me about your cat so I can draw something that fits them people like oh my cat died three years ago and wrote me this whole story about them and I'm like crying and drawing their cat so it's just sort of weird. I connected with people in ways I was not expecting to. People have very intense feelings about pets. Very intense feelings about cats. Well, when we do this podcast, we make sure the title is Cats and Comics. Um, you also have a project for First Second coming out. Yeah. What I, is that? It's called the Mars Challenge. It's funny. Like, the two things I'm doing right now could not be more different from each other. Um, it just got announced recently. It's going to be called the Mars Challenge. It's going to be a non-fiction book for adults about the future of human spaceflight with a focus on um, what it would take to be able to do a manned mission to Mars. Um, I'm only going to be doing the writing on that, so we're still looking at kind of figuring out who the artist is going to be. That's basically been my life for the last six months or so, and it's been an interesting going ping-ponging back and forth between drawing cats and then, you know, going to NASA Kennedy and interviewing a bunch of scientists. Now, what is your background? I mean, are you a... Do you consider yourself a cartoonist or a writer? or a... you uh, undergraduate film and television and concentrated in animation, and I worked on a show called Podium Kiss Next Door for basically the entire run. I interned during its first season, uh, and then I eventually I worked on a color key production assistant, and toward the end of the show I was one of the writers. Um, but, you know, the animation industry in New York is not what it used to be, and I've kind of moved pretty thoroughly over into comics at this point. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a theme that we just talk about on the podcast all the time, and as I was just talking about with the uh, with uh, Alisa is that you know you you gotta be flexible you gotta wear your tennis shoes here yeah and I just I love comics like I started writing kind of, I started reading and writing comics when I was like 12 or something and I discovered them totally accidentally because I was really into Ninja Turtles right right and so it's just been you know it's actually kind of been nice because animation is great but it's very easy to feel like you're just a cog in this giant machine and comics is much more personal it's much more like a novel so it's been nice yeah. I really love and it's a great best people yeah. best people oh it's true and everybody who's still here in New York doing it it's just crazy and we love it everybody else moved to Los Angeles and it's just the most hardcore insane awesome people that I know as we walk down the tumbleweed laden streets of douche bar bags uh, the douche bar, anyway horrible yeah, bars horrible people yeah. anyway yeah with I their 15 
$15 cocktails. That's my personal pet peeve. But, um, yeah. so, if it's going to cost you $15, it better be a mind-blowing. Well, I'd rather be a wino in the park, to be honest. That's pretty much how all my friends are. So perhaps enough about me. But, um, uh, yeah, so, um, so, yeah, so what's a, so are you watching Cosmos? I mean, speaking of space flight, are you, like, everybody who, like, you know, bunkers down? Now it's opposite Game of Thrones, so what will people do? But, oh, my God. No, I, yeah, me and my roommate and my husband uh, have watched the first couple episodes together. It's a family show. We all have to watch it together. Right, right. Um, you know, honestly, I'm just so happy for Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's just one of those genuinely good guys who's just trying to use his position to sort of educate the public and get people excited about this. I actually got to see him do a presentation at the planetarium where, is he, I forget his official title, he's like the president or something, which means that he can do whatever he wants, so he went for this hour-long talk that ended up going three hours, who's going to kick him out? Yeah, exactly. And he's so, but I mean, you must be doing intensive research oh, for this. Oh, it's insane. I have like gigs and gigs of technical PDFs sitting on my hard drive. You get used to it, though. Was spaceflight a particular passion of yours? You know, or? I've always loved it, and what ended up happening is I wrote a uh, novella about a Mars mission for a friend of mine's anthology, and did a huge amount of research, which I talk about it on Twitter all the time, and I pitched to Callista the first second on a different book of mine that I was working on, and they took a pass on it, which was totally fine, but she's kind of like, I sort of like you, and I looked at your Twitter, and you talk about space a Maybe we should do something about space. It's sort of funny how these things work out. Right. And of course, like, this is totally amazing. Yeah. And that, yeah. Well, I think that's a great topic too, because it does seem like there's kind of a little echo boom of interest in this, you know, now vanished frontier. Well, I, well, I think that people are seeing an opportunity yeah. to do outreach. That's basically what the story is. And I think that the world's going to come around. There's a real sense of camaraderie, like there's many people who really care intensely about the sciences in one way or another, and want, and they know that people care, and they just need to find an easy way to fit it into their lives. And so I want the idea of doing a graphic novel where you can hand to somebody and be like, do you care about human spaceflight? Here is a book. If you read this whole book, you'll know basically everything you need to know, and then you can go online and look up individual stuff you think is interesting. I mean, it's why that Packing for Mars book that Mary Roach did. It's exactly that kind of thing. It's great. You get a sense of it. It's a great place to start, and then people can go look things up online. I think most people don't even understand what's going on, and I don't expect them to. You're busy. You've got a life. You've got kids or pets or whatever. You've got a job. I like to be that convenient morsel for being handed to somebody. Right, right. Well, that's good. That's what comics are really good for. And, and you know, then you can do a follow-up with just Cats in Space. Yes, I know. There's a Cats cat astronauts mini somewhere people keep showing it to me be like you should do this yeah. like, oh, next it, time. it will never get old uh, well listen Allison thank you so much for taking time to talk to us uh-huh. thank you so much I'm always happy to talk to you alright cool Okay, hi, this is Heidi McDonald of PW Comics World's More to Come podcast, still live at Mocha Festival uh, at the 69th Regiment Armory. Uh, right now, I am with a Whit Taylor, who is an on-the-rise cartoonist. Um, you just had your first book announced from... Um, now I'm totally blanking, because that's... Plug. From Sparkplug, that's right. So you joined Sparkplug. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm very intrigued. I mean, you've kind of just really kind of gotten on everybody's radar just in the last six months um, you know how'd you do it <laughs> wow so I've actually I've been around for a few years just doing small mini comics mostly just for myself and my friends um, and uh, I guess the way it started really in the past year was um, I got nominated for an Ignatz award for this uh, mini comic series I did about high school 
And then after going to SPX, I wrote this um, thing, like 13 things I learned from SPX. And after that, it seemed like people started kind of taking to my writing and my reviews and stuff. So it just kind of has gone from there. And it's really been just even motivating me even more to... Yeah, stuff. so I know, and you've also been writing uh, for a website, uh, Panel Patter, right? Yep. Doing interviews, doing uh, podcasts and stuff, so, yep. yeah, so you kind of just gotten into uh, the multi-level. Well, you know, comics will take all your time and energy uh, if, you're not, if you're not careful. Um, I think one of the things I was interested in you, now, is your day job uh, is unusual, a little bit unusual. Yes, so um, I work in an art school in Boston. Um, and it's actually at a college counseling center within the school. And I have a background in public health. I have a master's in public health. So I went into the school to do some health education and ended up being the office manager as well. So we deal with kids with psychiatric um, disorders, kids with adjustment issues. Um, so it's a very exciting and challenging <laughs> job. But um, it's everybody has an appreciation of the arts, so it's just nice to be around that all the time. Right. Now, do you use comics at all in this? or? Yeah, I've actually been persuading my boss to start using more comics. We just got in a comic. I can't recall the name. It was done by um, an artist in Chicago about um, STI prevention and safe sex. So we're using that. A lot of our students are really enjoying it. Um, trying to think of what else. Um, Priota Wilbridge, we're trying to get her comic in about injury prevention for cartoonists. And actually recently my boss saw my comic I just did called Up Down Clown, which deals with bipolar disorder, so she's interested in possibly. Right, right. So, I, I mean, is this, um, I mean, it sounds like it's kind of informal use, but I, there does seem to be a lot more um, use of comics in academic settings. Uh, I guess this is kind of art therapy. Is that what this falls under the rubric of? Or Do you mean for... Um, people making it or for people for, for reading, using, it. reading it yeah yeah I, I think that the great thing about using them for an educational setting or even like specifically for health is that we, student, or students are so visual especially art students or just this gener- younger generations right. in general um, and it's really accessible it's really easy to read and I think it inspires people to think that I can make comics too or like I can put my experience into words and pictures so it's it's really accessible that's the main thing right. I would say now, a lot of your comics are autobiographical also. They are. Yeah. Now, do you find that, uh, you know, you've dealt with some pretty, pretty, you know, raw topics, too, about, you know, your own your own issues and also uh, racial issues as well. Yeah. Uh, the first, like, big comic I did was about my experiences being African-American, African-American woman. Um, and I just felt like I just had to get it off my chest because there's a lot of stuff I've been thinking about. And the best way for me to express some of those things was just in a comic book form. And I do deal with issues that can be kind of um, difficult to talk about at times. And I think that one of your responsibilities, too, when you're putting stuff in social media is to, you know, really deal with issues that affect other people. So I try to use that not just for my own, you know, enjoyment, but for to help other people. Right, right. Do you feel like... Um I mean, you know, like I said, you started out doing this, you know, on a very small level. And, you know, now you're definitely getting a lot more attention for it. I mean, now do you feel a little bit more guarded about things that you write or more empowered? Or Yeah, it's funny. So I put out um, an essay about, like, some of my mental health um, issues. I put out another comic dealing with um, an issue of, like, sexual assault. And after, like, a month or two after I did that, I'm like, what have I done? Like, maybe I shouldn't have, like, put that out there. It's very personal. But the thing is, the responses that I've had from people, either messaging me or contacting me and saying, you know, this has happened to me too, or I deal with this, like, thank you so much. Like, that's what, at the end of the day, makes it work. Right, right. Well, I also feel like, um, I mean, how you first came to my attention was your 13 things I learned tabling. 
at SPIs because I thought that was absolutely one of the best things I ever read about being at a show like this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but I mean, you had so much good advice. It's like, you know, if you look uncomfortable, people probably aren't going to want to buy your comics. Or, yeah, it's yeah. just something, you know, the more cons you go to, the more things you pick up on. And I think it's nice to just, like, get it out there. Like, I think one of the things I liked the most about writing that was just talking about, like, even if you're a consumer and you're coming to the show, like, just etiquette for, like, not putting your stuff on people's tables or just how to, like, treat the artists behind the table. Um, and it's fun just to talk about like my personal experiences there. I love SPX is one of my favorite shows. Yeah, so it's a great, concerned. it's a great show. Yeah. Now, what's what's your book for Stumptown? Um, it's for called, not Stumptown. Excuse <laughs> me, Sparkplug. Kate, edit that out. What's your book for Sparkplug? So it's called The Anthropologist. Um, it's part of Sparkplug's doing something called a, the Minis series, where they're doing four um, minis for the entire year, one for each season. Um, so I'm going to be doing the spring one. It's about, I was an anthropology major. I went to Brown University, and I studied abroad in Australia, in Perth, which is on the West Coast. And they, pay, they like, helped sponsor a trip for me and this other girl to go into the outback. So, um, pretty much, it's a, a story about my experiences on that trip with, like, complete strangers and really my, how I formed an opinion of what anthropology is and cultural tourism and some of my reservations about all of it, so... Ah, this sounds interesting. How many pages is this going to be? It's going to be 36. I'm like almost done with it. Right, right. right. You know what, that was the other thing I think I was intrigued by was your background in anthropology because comics are sure an interesting study (laughs) in social dynamics. and. uh, I think like first and foremost, I just love observing and listening and watching people. And I think that's why I was drawn to anthropology, study of, aka the study of culture. Um, when I was studying it, I did focus on Native American studies, so I went to a lot of reservations around the country, talked to people, a bunch of other experiences. Um, that's why I went to Australia. It just kind of carried over as an interest that's influenced my comics. Um, I'm actually editing an anthology with my press, Dan Mazor, we're a Boston-based company, and it's on subcultures. So we've gotten about 30-some cartoonists to write short stories about different subcultures that either they're drawn to or they're part of Wow. Yeah. Do you think... Um, uh, actually, what's the name of that anthology? Uh, Subcultures, a comics anthology. Oh, Subcultures, a comics anthology. <laughs> It'll be out for SPX. Wow. All right. Well, that is a must-do. Just uh, put that down. Um, do you feel like... I mean, have you studied at all how subcultures are impacted You know, by the internet? Now it's like, you know, first it was a secret fetish. Now it's a Facebook group. I mean, you yeah. know, how do you think this is like... You know, people are weird, but the internet has changed everything. But there's so many weird groups of people it makes it almost not weird anymore you know what I mean it's it's nice to have that forum for people to talk and not feel that they're alone or something like that and it's, it's interesting too that like comics is a subculture in and of itself so I think that's why a lot of cartoonists are like drawn to that subject because they understand on some level what it's like to be in a community where people like don't fully understand it from the outside, right. but it is a community. So it is a, it's a force for good, I guess, yeah, I, you know? I'd say so. I think because people feel isolated, I think that's when they really become more, I don't know, it's more damaging to feel isolated, I guess? Absolutely. Yeah, so, well, cool. Well, now, do you do comics that are not autobiographical, too, right? You do some fiction comics? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm trying to branch out into it. Like, my first, like, natural thing was to do autobio, but I think, and I like autobio, but I think it's good to push yourself in directions that are not always as familiar. Um, my, yeah, the new comic I just did, Up Down Clown, is fictional. Um, some things obviously inspired from life, but definitely a fictional piece. So 
it's fun. It's nice to get outside of myself sometimes. Yeah, there you go. Well, cool. Well, more to come, definitely, from Whit Taylor. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thank you very so much. Cool. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Um, check us out at PublishersWeekly.com slash comics. Anyway, uh, we're bringing you uh, this week's uh, podcast direct from the floor of the MoCA Arts Fest. And for those of you who may not know, uh, MoCA, that's the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art. Um, it's an annual show of small press, self-published, uh, and independent comics. And we, uh, we have the great pleasure uh, of talking with Charles Kochman, editorial director of Abram Comics Arts, uh, really Abrams' graphic novel imprint. Though, indeed, um, you do a lot more than just the fiction. Really, it's an amazing and broad publishing program for comics and comics-related works. So welcome to More to Come. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, I'm very lucky. I get to do all kinds of things at Abrams. I do, uh, I would say that I have two jobs. One job is uh, working on Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yes, yes, the discover, if I may say so, of of Jeff Kinney and Wimpy the Kid. Yeah, that's so that's half of my job or a job. And then there's the comic art stuff, which is um, our graphic novels for adults, Mm. our um, overseeing the graphic novels that we do on the Amiel list for kids, Mm. and then the art books and coffee table books that we do also that... um, sort of document, you know, the, the form of, of comics and comics as art. I've always been yeah. fascinated with you because you've always managed to have one foot in both camps. I mean, when I first got kids to know you, and kids, well, kids with, but also just in many ways, I mean, traditional book publishing and comics publishing, you seem to have been able to create, a, you know, a cross-pollinization of the two right. because they're very different or animals, yeah. trade book publishing and, and the comics industry. Yeah, I think... So you obviously came out of the, the traditional book industry. Totally, and that was what I was going to do. But then, you know, like, opportunities present themselves, and I just sort of feel like, how do I, how do I make the books exciting for me? And I always mm. try to do, even with the imprint uh, comic arts, if I had nothing to do with the book, I walked into a bookstore, and I saw some books on a shelf, what would I want to see? Mm. And I've been lucky to be able to be in a position where it's like, there were no books on wacky packages. Well, why aren't there? Mm. And then figure out how to make that happen. Yeah. How do I get in touch with the people to do it? But if you're going to do it, it's like, all right, it's not enough to get in touch with Tops. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I knew Ira Friedman, so mm. I was able to work that. It's not enough to say, like, all right, I like Wacky Packages. I'm going to do a book with Tops on Wacky Packages. Because you could do that a billion different ways. Anybody mm. could do it. Yeah. But what I like to do is make it as close to the original, like it's form and content always have to match. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to look at one image per page because I wanted you to be able to really focus on it. Uh-huh. And I wanted to you know, do it at a size that was a little bit larger than the cards. But also it's like, all right, if I'm going to collect these, I want some, it's not enough to just have the cards. Now you have to have some understanding of it. So I remember, uh, you know, talking with Ira and it's like, all right, well, I know these were created by Art Spiegelman and a bunch of guys, you know, um, you know, who were involved. But, um, you know, I got in touch with Arcus. I knew him. And, um, you know, he t- wasn't interested in doing the book. But I was like, really, really intent because I felt like, one, having his name would help sell the book. But also, um, I thought, how do I get people t- to really understand how great this material is? Mm-hmm. And art was the key to that. 
uh, and Francoise, God bless her, she was the one, she said, I approached it the wrong way. She said, what you got to do is tell Art, if he doesn't do it, Topps is going to have somebody else do it. It'll this do is a crappy job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is his That'll drive Art crazy, exactly. for sure. It is, the notion of crappiness <laughs> is drives oh, him around the bed. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, we shared a sensibility about that. And, you know, I told him I wanted to do the right. The rapper is wax. Mm -hmm. He really liked that idea. So I get, he got more excited the more I talked, and he agreed to do it. But <laughs> Francois would know. <laughs> she knew the way to get to him. Push his buttons. <laughs> awesome. So you know, again, it's more. It's not enough to just do the book. You have to figure out the way to do it so that it really feels like there's no other way to do it. And once you see it, it's like I'm not, I don't want to say for me personally that the book is perfect, but it's you couldn't do a, another. It's like it almost has to be that. Yeah. That's what I like yeah. to do. So when did uh, Abrams Comics art, the imprint started, and were you the first editor? I'm, I'm losing yep. track now. Yeah, yep. yeah. I was. Yeah, what happened was, so I came to Abrams um, in 2005, and the way I came for Abrams to DC, I had licensed the book with uh, with Abrams, so I got Les Daniels mm -hmm. to write the history. Chip Kidd was the um, yeah. was the designer, and um, at the publishing party, nobody from DC came. And uh, one of the, the the people that I work with at Abrams when we license it, he was like, "Where's people from DC?" And I said, "You know, it's not really their thing." Um, I remember somebody once saying, "We're DC Comics, not DC, DC Books." So I felt like at that point, like no right. matter what I did as a book editor at DC, it was never going to be important enough because they were DC Comics, not yeah. DC Books. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you know, he said, "Oh, you should come over to Abrams and sort of do more of this stuff," and that just seemed like the perfect opportunity for me to. So I came to Abrams not with the idea of doing a comics imprint at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, I kind of wanted to get away from it a little bit. And the f I, I was at Abrams for, I would say, six months, and um, I hadn't acquired anything. And I remember my boss came into my office asking, you know, what I was, you know, acquiring. And I just said, you know, I, I, I hadn't found the right thing. And he said, well, you've got to lower your standards or you got to be more ambitious. <laughs> and at that point, well, I got really That's a really way to put it. Yeah. Exactly. So I was a little bit, you know, a little bit taken aback. But he was absolutely right. And coincidentally, at that point, um, a manuscript came across my managing editor's desk as part of the slush pile. And it was a book called Mom's Cancer yes. by Brian Fees. Uh, yes. And, a wonderful uh, book. Amazing book. And I realized, you know, my uncle once told me, like, whatever your first acquisition is, make sure that it's um, in the right one because that's how you're going to be known. So, you know, I realized that I really wanted to do something that was unique and different. Mm -hmm. And Mom's Cancer fit that perfectly. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen anything like it. I really love Brian Fees' storytelling. I love the writing on it. And um, that was my first book. And then, you know, a couple of other books that I had inherited, a book, Cartoon America with the Library of Congress, mm -hmm. a book mm -hmm. called Art at a Time that was a collection of unknown strips. Um, I had done those. Oh, yeah. That Dan Adel. Dan Adel yes, did. Yeah, yep. terrific book. Exactly. Those were signed up before I got to Abrams. I hadn't, mm -hmm. you know, but I inherited those. And I really loved working on those. And then it was like Nat Turner and a couple of yes. other books that I did. Mm -hmm. And it became very clear that we had enough of these books, like Wacky Packages and all that, that we needed to give it a home at Abrams. Mm -hmm. So uh, Michael Jacobs, our CEO, CEO, and I talked and said, like, what about giving this a comics imprint that we could you know, have an umbrella for all of these titles, mm -hmm. and that's where comic arts yeah. came from. Well, it's it's an impressive list because, you know, this what we're saying, obviously, uh, Jeff Kenney's monstrous, uh, uh, monstrously popular hit, you know. Is 120, is 120 million copies? It's, it's insane, and we're up to what, uh, number eight? or Number, number eight. Number yeah. eight, um, and it's, I think it's Wimpy Kid Month. Yes, as, yeah, as a matter of yeah. fact. 
Um, but uh, uh, serious nonfiction, I mean, you do these popular histories of the, the various categories that are really uh, terrific as well. Well, I tried when I got to Abrams, so and, I, and, and as the comic arts thing started to take shape, I started thinking of, all right, how do I make sense of comics to people at Abrams and people outside of comics who don't understand this world? And I tried to identify what I felt were three creators that everything kind of derived from. So the first book I did was the book on Jack Kirby, because without Jack Kirby, there's no superhero comics. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I did a book on, and it wasn't enough, by the way, to just do a book on Jack Kirby. I wanted to do Mark Evanier's book on yes, Kirby, because yeah, if I was yeah. going to do a book, yeah. it had, like, that was the the Holy Grail book, because yeah. Mark had been talking about it forever, but to get him to do the book, because he was the only person to write that book. Mm-hmm. Um, the other person I, I really admired was uh, Harvey Kurtzman, and I wanted Harvey as much for the humor comics as the war comics and the realism that he brought to comics, and certain sort of things that he had done to me that sort of paved the way for the independent comics movement that is pretty much you know evident here at MoCA yeah. for sure. Because um, he was doing lots of things, you know, that were part of the underground movement or a precursor to the underground mm-hmm. movement. But um, you know, I I um, I'm just a big fan of Harvey. Yeah. So obviously, from his work with Mad to the, 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 his war comics, exactly. I mean, he really transformed the whole business. Exactly. And, so and the storytelling of the business. Right. And then the other, and having Dennis Kitchen write that because Dennis mm-hmm. knew him, yeah. Dennis yeah. published him, um, and it's not enough. And manages his estate now. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not enough to just sort of say like. I'm going to do a book on these, but it has to be the right person yeah. and the right format, which if you notice, the Kirsten book isn't the same format as the mm-hmm. Kirby book because the material is different. The material will always dictate the size and the format and how you treat the material. You know, I wasn't going to do the Kirby book with a wax wrapper because it yeah. wouldn't make any sense, yeah. you know. Yeah. But every book has its own, you know, sort of, um, you know, it tells you how it wants to be dressed and how it wants to look when you make it. And um, the third part of that triumvirate was Will Eisner. Um, oh, and I'm course. finally getting to and do that's Will. Coming. That's coming. Yep, that's, that's coming a, out next fall. Oh, yeah, yes. fall 15. And Paul Levitz is writing Paul it. Paul Levitz, and the former uh, president and publisher of DC Comics. My, who better? Who better? And my old boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what's great is I get yeah. to work with, with Paul. And I think for both of us, it's been really um, wonderful to see each other differently, mm-hmm. to work in a different capacity. And he's been very generous and incredibly you know, professional. Yeah. I mean, his manuscript was to the day on time and um, he's been absolutely great to work with. And for for those of our readers who may not know, Will Eisner, probably one of the greatest innovators in the history of the comics medium, the creator of the spirit, um, uh, the Will uh, Eisner Comic Industry Awards are the the awards given out annually to to the best works in comics and uh, Eisner was uh, not only just a great comics guy, just one of the visionaries. Yeah. Uh, that transformed this, this category. Exactly. He was the other part of the triumvirate. You know, so Kirby for superheroes, mm-hmm. Harvey for humor and the war comics, and then Will for basically doing the self-confessional gra- mm-hmm. original graphic novel. Mm-hmm. He popularized the term graphic novel with mm-hmm. Contract with God. Yes. He arguably was, the first graphic novel. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, you could. You know, everybody has. Everybody know, argues about it. But, a little bit. But nobody that, disagrees that Will Eisner. Yeah, exactly. Was right there. <laughs> he was there, and you know, I, I mean, I've, I'm doing a book on the art of Jules Pfeiffer, and Jules did a cool. book called Tantrum, which preceded. Yes, of course. You know, yes, really. But, yeah. but Jules which, got to start working for Will, Will so it all yes, comes back to yeah. Will. <laughs> you know. 
Well, I'm, I'm, I, we could talk forever, but I, I do want to uh, jump really quickly because I, you're you're doing the same things now. Uh, first off, I want to talk about uh, just a little bit about um, Dirk Bactor's book, which really was—I mean, first it was a great book, but it's it's it was recognized as being a terrific book. And you have a new book coming out that I think is really cool. Is climate change? I, yep. I really to, to see comics taking on the big scientific issues of our time. I think right. is a really big deal. They're all really exciting for different reasons. Um, the, uh, I'll start with the uh, the Durf book first with uh, my friend Dahmer. Mm -hmm. um, the agent uh, that I had, I was friendly with, he, he at one point came up to me at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago. He said, "I have a project I want to send you." And I said, cool, you know, send, you know, when we're back, it's hard to get proposals here on the floor. He said, no, I'll send it to you when you're back, but you're going to love it. It's by a guy named Durf Backdurf. And I was like, oh, my God. I remember his script from from The Voice, York, and I didn't yeah, like it. I didn't like yeah, yeah. I didn't, yeah, from the yeah, press, yeah, yeah. press and The Voice. And I didn't like his art. I wasn't crazy about the strip. Yeah. And then he said, I think you'll like it. It's about Jeffrey Dahmer. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't care about Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer. So it had everything going against it. I didn't like the artist. I didn't yeah. like the subject matter. There was no way I was going to publish that book, but he sent me the book. I took it home with me, and um, I was—I had it for about a week, and I was like, oh, I should read this so I can just turn it yeah. down. Um, and I started reading the first page, second page, and I got sucked in. And Durf did something really smart. The opening of the book is all pantomime, very silent. So I turned pages really quickly, so I felt like I was getting through it. And then all of a sudden, it started to become so engaging because the story, as I'm reading it, I realized this is not about Jeffrey the serial killer. This is about like the secret origin of Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer. Yeah. And I really love that. And when, by yeah, the time I got exactly to the end of it, I knew I had to to publish the book. I went to my CEO, Michael Jacobs, who I mentioned before, mm -hmm. who's probably my biggest enabler of all these things, whether it's <laughs> Wimpy Kid or, or Mom's Cancer. And, um, you know, said to him, like, I, I love this book. And he read it on the train and, and emailed me that night from home. He's like, we have to publish this. So awesome. it's been incredibly successful. And we're doing his sequel, or not sequel, but his follow-up called Trash. Oh, it's a follow-up. It's, it's, it's called that. Trashed, oh. and it's about his time as a garbage collector. And what he's doing, yes, I he had done it a while back, but like with Dahmer, yeah, yeah. he's basically breaking it down, starting from scratch, taking the old material, re-envisioning it, it. Mm. and he's adding a considerable amount of non-fiction material to it to make it not just his adventures, but also like to tell the readers like what happens to your garbage? Where does it go? How much sure. garbage? How is it recycled? What does all that yeah. mean? So I really love the approach on that, and I think that's yeah. going to be wonderful. Um, climate change came about for two reasons. We had uh, previous year done a book called Economics, which mm -hmm. hit the New York Times bestseller list, and that was about by a guy named Michael Goodwin, illustrated by Dan Burr, and um, it was all teaching people about the economy. And what was so great about that was it was a very nonpartisan, uh, professional look at this is what is happening in this country. This is how we got here. This is how the economy works and doesn't work. Um, and that yeah. did incredibly well for us. And what we realized right. is books like Economics, books like Dahmer, our nonfiction titles were really selling in a way that we were hoping when we launched the imprint. Um, so climate change came about when Carol Burrell came to us from Lerner. She's a senior editor working uh, in comic arts with me. And um, she got that proposal, and we both fell in love with it. And she did a great job working with Philippe, the author and artist, to bring that book uh, from translation uh, to uh, publication here. It's really wonderful. It came out great. And, again, he found a very nonpartisan way of saying, like, look, this is, this is what is happening with the environment. This is what the climate, what's happening with climate. 
and giving very concrete examples, backing everything up with science. And he walks through the, through the science. Walks through the science, mm -hmm. and you know, there are people on the right who might disagree, but science is science. You yeah. can't argue it. You yes. could try, <laughs> but you know, fact is fact. Um, so he's been really good about presenting the facts and making, letting people come to their conclusions. And um, you know, for me, it was really eye-opening because it's it's we're in a pretty dire state it feels and you know it's still we could turn it around but a lot has to That's be it. done between now and and the time that there is no way yeah. back well we're going to wind this up i do want to ask you i mean yeah. uh mocha has kind of been gone through a re uh, revival under the yeah. society of illustrators and as a publisher and an exhibitor just maybe briefly tell us like uh what's your take on the, the new mocha i think the new mocha is amazing and i i say that with a lot of humility because uh, Lawrence Klein, who started MOCA, mm -hmm. um, I was at the Society of Illustrators as part of the NCS, the National mm -hmm. Cartoonist Society. Uh -huh. And I had met Lawrence, um, you know, through, I can't even remember at this point, but he had said, I got this idea for a festival and a museum. And at one of the NCS meetings, I cleared some time for him to actually present the idea for what would become MOCA mm -hmm. yeah, and great. was on the board of advisors and helped. Mm -hmm. So... We started the Puck Building. Yes. We started with a couple of hundred people, and it's now, and I, yes. you know, I, th I, I heard the number I heard yesterday was 4,000 people came. Um, and I think this is the most amazing festival. I think this year is absolutely perfect, and El Miller has done a, just a transformative job taking this festival. El Miller, the executive director of Society of Illustrators. Yep. Mm -hmm. And she took over MOCA two years ago. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, I think, you know, look, I, I'm a big fan of Ellen Abramowitz, who is doing yes. MOCA beforehand. Yes, yes. And Ellen yes. did a great job, and I think that Anel had other resources available to her through the society. But when we came to the Puck Building the first time, besides it was really hot one year, and one year it was really cold, and it's very cavernous, Anel has put up these red curtains. She's got a, a giant balloon of Charlie Brown flying over everybody, which it's is, a, like, most amazing thing. There's an exhibition. There's, yeah. There's show prizes. Prizes, awards, great panels. Sponsorships. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So it's totally transformed, and you know, no offense to anybody who did anything before. It's just like this mocha is like the dream, like what you would want mocha to be. And what I love about it, there are no, not that this is a bad thing, but there are no superheroes. There's no su uh, Hollywood. There's nothing that. Yeah. This is just independent artists, independent writers who make their own books mm -hmm. or are small publishers. Not that Abrams is a small publisher, but we're closer to a small publisher than a big publisher. Sure, sure. Uh, and you're also doing original publishing. I mean, you're yeah. not just publishing, you know, you know, a Superman variation. No. These are, yeah, you we're know, doing, you know, our, I original feel like, works or licensed works that that really speak to a different market. Exactly, and we, you know, we curate the list of what we bring to this. It's not like mm -hmm. you know every Abrams book we publish we bring here because there's a lot that yeah. wouldn't make sense. But you know, we we tailor it to to who the Mocha clientele is and. It's really exciting. Everybody that I've talked to, everybody who comes here, um, just has a great time. And I think that this Mocha Fest, I think, set the bar high for next year. Well, and on that note, I couldn't think of, uh, it's a perfect time to bring us to an end. Thanks so much for being on More to Come. Thanks for having me.